looks all the same, no matter time, no place. They don't understand that us kids are going to make some mistakes. So to you other kids all across the land, there's no need to argue. Parents just don't understand. It is 444.com's DFS MVP, Holden Kushner here, of course, uh, 444's director of DFS, TJ Hernandez. And our special guest today is JJ Zacharyson. Finally got a chance to meet the guy in Vegas at an industry convention. I got to tell you, you're a really nice guy. And he's the editor-in-chief at FanDuel and Number Fired. And before you talk, I yes. need to know what the music is from TJ. TJ, what was it? <laughs> All right, before JJ gets his rebuttal, uh, uh, we had uh, Parents Just Don't Understand from DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince off of the 1988 album. He's the DJ, I'm the rapper. It seemed a little apropos to bring in Parents Just Don't Understand with uh, the world's greatest dad runner, JJ. Yeah, I love it. Love it. You're the greatest dad? I mean, how did you get this uh, moniker? I am the... So here's the thing. Back in the day... I sort of uh, started branding uh, dad running. So not just being a dad, but like the dad runners in the NFL specifically. So the guys who just look like that they're running in glue. Uh, so like the Jason Wittens of the world and so on. So I, I made a dad runner scale at one point. This was like seven years ago at this point. Uh, I made like a dad runner scale and it just became sort of a thing. Uh, it all started, it was before like I really was doing this for, for a living and whatnot. And there was a Roto World blurb about Jake Ballard. Do you guys remember that tight end? He played for like yes. the Patriots oh, and yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I don't remember, I think Levitan might've written it, um, but it said something along the lines of, of him running like a dad. And it was like my first moment in this industry where I was like, I made it guys. Made it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right, so here's what we got coming up today. Again, JJ's here. We're going to look at FanDuel pricing, the first look at FanDuel pricing. Of course, JJ is to blame if anything wrong goes with FanDuel. I'm sure he uh, loves it when bad things happen over there on accident. Anyways, we'll get to general FanDuel strategy and how understanding sports betting can help us in fantasy football because there is no doubt about it. We have a massive link between the two. Uh, author of the Late Round Quarterback, host of the Late Round Podcast, Live in the Stream, Jason Witten's best friend, editor-in-chief, we already talked about that, and sign up now for giveaways, DFS MVP, 25% off. Uh, so who was our first guest where I had to do the Manscaped raids, TJ? Uh, you- we had we had Raybon and Levitan Ray have bon. already talked about their um, trimming um, habits. So yeah. we'll see so, what JJ has for us. Yeah, JJ was all about it. And uh, support for 444.com is brought to you by Manscaped. The best in men's below-the-waist grooming, Manscaped offers precision engineering tools for your family jewels, and they obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. JJ, um, are you married, by the way? I am married. And I have so you just don't this. even care. You probably need a Manscaped. I mean, look, I think it's still important to be clean. Mm-hmm. It yeah. is. Yeah. I agree. Um, I agree. It's been a long time, probably. I don't want to get into that. Anyways... Um, <laughs> You know, sometimes you're in the shower, you're using a, a razor, and then horrible things happen to you. So, you know, we got to get this cleaned up, guys. You get 20% off plus free shipping with the code DFSMVP at manscaped.com. Okay, 20% off free shipping with the code DFSMVP, manscaped.com. 20% off free shipping, manscaped.com. Use the code DFSMVP. Enough about my balls. Let's talk about footballs. TJ Hernandez. 
Uh, JJ, let's just get right into it. Uh, FanDuel, obviously one of the major uh, DFS platforms available out there, one that uh, we love to talk about at 4 for 4 And I think uh, even though... DFS has really gained popularity over the last five years or so. Um, there's still a lot of people that haven't gotten to DFS, but with with COVID, with the uncertainty, with a lot of people like holding off on uh, even starting their redraft leagues right now, like is this the the best year to try DFS? And like, how are you encouraging uh, your friends or, or people that you know that haven't tried yet to to jump on Fanduel and check it out? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point, especially comparing it to that 2015 season and around that time. Um, you know, I, I will say that there's sort of a, a viewpoint of DFS that it's sort of a, a Sharks versus Minnows uh, mm-hmm. situation. Um, but I, I do think that it's really important to remember that, um, you know, it's not just a I only should play and am playing for profit. And I'm not right. saying that as in like, hey, go bet your life savings and go put your life savings into this game uh, and, and, and see what happens. I'm saying sure. more so you can go in there and play $5. Everyone, a lot of people listening to the show, you know, I understand that the times are tough right now, but if you are buying coffee every day, you can maybe skip coffee one day and just try out DFS. And I, I know that sounds like a cliche way of looking at things, but it's really an entertainment platform above yeah. all else. And I, I think that's, that's really what's key. And, you know, you make the point that season long leagues, I don't know about you guys, but I know from my personal experience, it does seem like people aren't as into season long right now this mm-hmm. year as we've seen in the past, whether it's because of the, the lack of preseason and us not really seeing and visualizing what's going on on a football field and realizing that it's existing right now. Yeah. Or, I mean, honestly, let's just be real. It just doesn't matter that much given what's going on out there. Sure. Uh, whatever the reason, um, you know, we're not seeing the, the same sort of love with season long as we, we traditionally do. Uh, but we know factually that, that, uh, fantasy players and managers uh, are are getting more and more into fantasy year over year. It's why we see more and more people getting into dynasty. It's why we do have people playing DFS. Um, There are people that are, you know, I I always view it as sort of like a funnel where the top of the funnel is just your casual season long league. And you're really trying to, uh, and you see people go down, down, down that funnel to becoming real sports betters and DFS players. Um, And we're seeing that every year, more and more people sort of going through that funnel and and becoming uh, more hardcore players. So it's happening. It's just going to be a little bit different this year overall, but I do think that it's a great year to get into it. Yeah. Do you, sorry, sorry, Holden, Uh, JJ, do you find that since you've got into DFS um, or just knowing DFS better that you become a better redraft player? Like the thing with DFS, you're researching every single player available whereas classic redraft if you're only in one league you might just be looking at your 16 players i found that it makes decisions like start sit like no brainers where you're agonizing over it maybe for hours all of a sudden those are like snap decisions yeah i think so uh it definitely helps look at that it also just helps you sort of formulate uh game theory a little bit better and understand mm-hmm. like opportunity cost a little bit better and right. and you know you're obviously looking at it from a salary cap standpoint with dfs as opposed to uh, just player versus player and who you're adding and who you'd be dropping or, or what have you. Or if you're in a draft, you know, who, you, who, who you would be drafting versus who you wouldn't be drafting. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely, you know, one of those things where you just get a better uh, mind for game theory and get your mindset game theory wise. I think it does transfer not only honestly, not only just a season long, but really a lot of other games, game yeah, related things. Yeah, you'd be playing. for sure. So, JJ, by the way, when this drops, we taped this on Wednesday. When this drops on Thursday, we are three weeks away from the regular season. And it just does not feel like it. I mean, that's it's as simple as that. And 
with all of the questions going on, this is a wonderful time to get into DFS. That being said, our target demo, DFS players are ready. Um, but when a new player does sign up for FanDuel, how are they navigating the lobby? Can you give a couple of hints as to what they should do or what they need to know before they sign up for their first DFS contest? Yeah, look, I mean, I think that it, you can approach this at a really basic level, high level that a lot of people who have been playing DFS already know. But, um, you know, I, what what we found and what we see is that people are often sort of intimidated by, by what they're not only seeing, but again, the perception of what DFS is. Um, and it's just really important going in that you just sort of know what the lobby is all about and know what the different game types are. So if you're looking at the lobby, you're seeing multi-entry contests, you're seeing single entry contests, what does that mean? And how does that change your lineup build? Uh, that's important. Um, and, and, you know, I can understand why there's somewhat of a barrier for people who haven't been playing DFS to not totally click and understand what that means right away. Um, so really what I would what I would just say is to go around to these different contests and literally just click on them and, and check out all the tabs that we have on within the lobby to look at the rules and look at the payout structure to see you know how, how the payout works for instance if it's a top heavy uh, payout structure if it's not you know obviously the game type matters if you're playing a 50 50 or, or a head-to-head is going to your, your lineup construction is going to be a lot different than if you're playing uh, in this large-scale tournament um, so that's that's what's really important that's that's one of the bigger barriers I think is that uh, you know a lot of people playing DFS even to this day you know I know that we're speaking to an audience that are, are likely pretty into DFS and uh, there are people who have been doing this for a living for a while now um, but it's really important to just know uh, the different contest types and how that affects affects your lineup uh, and your lineup builds because uh, it just causes frustration when you don't know that and that's a huge part of of uh, of winning in DFS and doing well, but it's a huge frustration if you don't know that because you're not going to win. And if you don't win, you're not going to want to retry it. Yeah. And beyond just like that, that's the, the first step in research. Like, how do I make a lineup? How do I make a lineup um, that's profitable? And then in each of these games, uh, but I think where people might get lost in the lobby or, or I know for a fact, because I talk to people all the time about DFS is they go to any website, whether it's FanDuel or another one, and they see, uh, I can win a million dollars on playing this game. And that's how you really burn money. And, yeah. um, it's not exciting, but, uh, I, I mean the average person with a hundred dollars, if you take the time to figure out like what a 50 50 is or, or get tournament experience that isn't in like a Sunday million that's in a smaller tournament that person might be able to take their hundred dollars and they're not maybe they're probably not going to make a million dollars, but they might have a nice Christmas bonus at the end of December. If they really put um, some of, of these concepts in work, just like understanding these things. One thing that FanDuel does specifically that I, I really encourage people to do, and that's really profitable is uh, that they offer beginner games. So can you speak a little bit to that compared to some of the other games offered? Yeah, so beginner games essentially are there for people who are just trying out and starting out um, and, and being able to play against people of the same skill level. And so there's skill levels as you just play, play, and play more and, and how well you do, etc. So you're able to play against people of your same skill level to at least try it out. Mm -hmm. um, but to your point, TJ, I think that you know going into to the lobby and going into the experience of playing DFS, just ask yourself what kind of player you want to be knowing that there are people that are literally studying this stuff 12 hours a day, seven days a week, and knowing that there are going to be people that, that have those edges on you, what kind of player do you want to be? Do you want to be that kind of player? That's fine. There's going to be a little bit more detail to what you do in terms of bankroll management, etc. Sure. Um, but you know, there's going to be a large number of people who just want to throw a dart at a Sunday Million contest and see if they can win that 
um, and, and, and have one lineup and just kind of go from there. And that's fine too. So understand the kind of player that you want to be as well right. uh, whenever you go into all this. So we've got the week one pricing out there. This is what I like what you guys did this year. $4 million, basically millionaire contest. $4. So, you know, you can get in at a very cheap price point. You can throw two in. There's 900. There's going to be almost a million entries in this. <laughs> so you're going to have to be really unique. But here's what I don't know if you do this, TJ. I'm pretty sure you do. The second these drop, I just go right in there and try and find who I'm going to play week one. And then none of them end up in my lineup, but it's just a lot of fun anyways. So dummy lineup. Did you put one together and anybody standing out in particular, maybe three or four guys? Yeah, uh, definitely put one together. I was actually on uh, our more ways to win show that we have over on our TVG network uh, uh, last week, talking about some of my favorite value plays. Um, the, the one guy who really stuck, uh, stuck out to me uh, as chalk city for week one was miles Sanders. Yeah. Uh, $6,800. Uh, I mean, he's cheaper than he was like the 13th most expensive uh, running back on the sl- on the main slate uh, when he's a first round season long pick. And then they're facing it's not like they're facing that tough of a matchup. I mean, the, the Washington defensive line obviously is going to be better, um, but it's still beatable given the positive game script that, that Philly's going to see. Um, and then everything out of Philly so far has been Miles Sanders is going to be a workhorse back. I believe it just given the fact that, you know, they haven't had a Miles Sanders type player since Doug Peterson mm-hmm. has been head coach there. I know that he has this uh, very vague lower body injury that sounds like uh, the NH- an NHL team is reporting it the way that they're reporting it. But, uh, <laughs> you know, there's this lower body injury. Hopefully he's able to be healthy by then. Uh, that, that news is still pretty fresh. But uh, I love Miles Sanders at $6,800. I also, you know, just in general this season, I think, I mean, I could make the case for season long, but also in, in DFS in week one, I'm really, really into the Seattle wide receivers. Uh, DK Metcalf, he's at $6,400 going up against an inexperienced Atlanta secondary and what could be a pretty high scoring game. I always love targeting games with, with two, uh, elite level quarterbacks. Um, but he led the league in end zone targets last year as a rookie should be able to build off that 20% target share. Um, I, I really like both him and Tyler Lockett, not only this season, but, uh, you know, within this week one environment. And then the, the last one, uh, was Hayden Hurst. He's only $5,200. Um, obviously, he's walking into that Austin Hooper role. Uh, he's sort of the de facto number three target for Atlanta. Um, and we saw Austin Hooper be very relevant in fantasy last year. And then on the main slate, Hayden Hurst is the tight end 13. There's 12 games happening on the main slate. And Hayden Hurst is the 13th ranked tight end <laughs> yeah. salary-wise, whenever he's a top 10 tight end from a season-long perspective. You know, it's early in the season, so it's really easy to sort of make those connections between where people are drafting them in season-long versus yes. where they're sort of being ranked in, in, in DFS. Um, and it's just a really easy way to say, oh, wow, this doesn't really make that much sense from a, from a value standpoint. Um, and that's just one of those examples, I think, where Hayden Hurst should just see a lot of volume and, and again, what should be a pretty high-scoring game. Yeah, one thing I want to circle back to a couple points you made the last one you made like just download ADPs positional ADPs and then download pricing and make a positional ranking um, chart based on pricing compare those and that's like a really quick and dirty way to find value Mm -hmm. Um, I want to go back to your first point about Miles Sanders because you are probably the only person on Twitter besides myself that beats the drum harder for (laughs) the case that talent drives touches and targets not coaching um, and like Miles Sanders, I think is going to be the epitome of that uh, this year. But I want to pick your brain on a couple other situations because we have uh, a really unique running back situation this week. I talked about this last week with Levitan a little bit. But if you look at uh, FanDuel pricing, 
or just running backs in general, one thing that we generally look at to like figure out which running backs are going to be popular or which running backs we want to target are those that are um, on teams that are favored by a lot. Week one is a really unique situation. The biggest favorites are Baltimore, San Francisco, Indy, and New England. All four of those teams have ambiguous running back situations. So any like strong takes going into the year um, and more specifically like going into week one on how you can leverage those muddy situations. Yeah. I mean, I I think that one of the problems with the fantasy community in the way that not just, not just house, not just analysts, but the way that, that people in our mentions talk too, is that they avoid these ambiguous situations uh, because they just don't want to deal with it. Mm -hmm. When oftentimes the ambiguous situations are where these breakouts can really emerge and where you can Mm -hmm. get some sort of edge. So, you know, DFS, it's slightly different only because it's a week to week thing. Um, But even still, you know, in week one, you're going to be able to see a little bit flatter ownership from the perspective of, of people, you know, targeting a a JK Dobbins versus a Mark Ingram or a uh, Marlon Mack versus a Jonathan Taylor. Mm -hmm. Um, And whereas, you know, week three or four, that back, Backfield, we're going to have more information on that backfield and we're going to understand it a little bit better. Uh, so the way that I would attack it is if I'm playing multiple lineups and I'm entering a tournament, I would absolutely be targeting those guys uh, because you know that there's that possibility, at least of them hitting, and then you're going to have this depressed ownership on those players. Um, but I do think that overall, you know, as we enter week one, there's just so many options out there because we're not really dealing with injuries. So we don't have these like obvious, obvious go-to values of these these you know, uh, handcuff running back stepping in wherever, you know, they're going to have like uh, 60% uh, percent rostered. Um, so I, I do think that it's fine to target those guys, just given the fact that, um, you know, they're going to be in those severe positive uh, game script situations. But, uh, you know, even from a season long perspective, it's just, I, I, I get, I grow tired of, of people who are like, oh, I'm just going to avoid the Washington backfield because it's going to be a mess. It's like, you're not, right. you don't have to spend up to get those players. So it doesn't matter. You know, you're trying to, you're trying to throw darts at a guy like Bryce Love to see if he he hits, and then he he emerges in a in a what is a very cloudy and easy to emerge backfield. So that's kind of the way that I view it. Is I'm trying to just gain an edge on on ownership, and if if you feel good about a particular team's uh, ability to score points, which we should in a lot of these cases that you just mentioned, especially like a, a team like Baltimore, I think it's fine to go after them. I do, you know, there are some cases, you know, you can go case by case as to some of the rookie running backs that I'd be higher or lower on in week one. Like I, I think that I would just give the edge a little bit to a Mark Ingram in week one and maybe a Jonathan Taylor's instead of a, a JK Dobbins. So, um, you know, I, I think it's a case by case thing, but I would still be targeting those offenses and those backfields. All right, JJ, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot. All right. You gave a really good political answer. But week one, week one, regardless of price, Jonathan Taylor, Marlon Mack, Tevin Coleman, Raheem Mostert, pick one. Uh, I will go Jonathan Taylor, um, I like but I, I really, I'm, I'm close to going Mostert, even okay. though I hate Raheem Mostert. Uh, from a, <laughs> yeah, like I, I would not be. I mean, I'm sure he's a nice guy, but I, I would not be. I would not be drafting Raheem Mostert this year. But yeah, you know, the situation. He's probably gonna get first crack. Sure. Um, go ahead, hold on. Sports betting. You ready to move on to that side? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. I mean, that's an, a, another thing that FanDuel offers besides DFS um, is sports be- betting has a lot of parallels to DFS, a lot to learn um, in, as far as studying DFS. Uh, before we get into the nuts and bolts of how we can use it and what we're looking at, um, just currently, what's the state of sports betting as far as FanDuel goes? Um, availability uh, across the country. Is there anything that we should know uh, for the upcoming season states that might be on the horizon? 
Yeah, so there's, you know, it's, it's different every state. Every state has different legislation, um, so it's a little bit tough to, to have blanket answers for anything that's going on with sports betting, but I will mm-hmm. say that right now, I, you know, off the top of my head, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Indiana, Colorado, West Virginia are the big markets for FanDuel, um, but mm-hmm. Illinois and Michigan are coming soon. Cool. Um, and Il- Illinois is obviously a big one, just given population and, and what that could do for, for the overall, um, you know, market. Um, so that's currently where things are, are at. Yeah. I'm in Denver, so I was actually right on your sports book before I started the show. There you Love go. it. No, no, no. It's it's terrific. And really, I can't wait till football season because something I exploited last year. Um, and it's it really is using a lot of DFS uh, research is player props and, and especially head to heads because we're sitting here digging into all these stats during the week. It's like, why not? If you're in a legal market, why not use your DFS experience and try and go into a book and win some money on props. I just think it's it's an easy avenue to do that, JJ. That, to me, is the number one thing I'm going to be using it for in the NFL. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that that's the, the easiest sort of connection between like season-long players and DFS players to sports betting, for sure. Yeah, and then you're looking at Vegas lines, and I just wonder... If you how much you think, because it does have an impact on ownership, how much of an impact in DFS and you know, is there any is there any line on players or anything like that you've looked into for week one? Yeah, so I've, I've looked pretty heavily into week one because uh, there's nothing better to do right now for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the lines are important. It's going to be really interesting too to see how the different plat- DFS platforms and the association with the sports book and how uh, if, if there are, are varying lines. I mean, generally speaking, the lines are going to be pretty similar from one, one book to another. Um, but if there are varying lines, if, if that changes the, the uh, overall percent rostered for some of these players as a result. Um, but yeah, I mean, looking at week one, there's some really, really fun, fun games. The one that, you know, I already mentioned that Seattle Atlanta game, I think could, yeah. can end up being higher scoring. You know, we're not seeing that high uh, of over unders overall in week one, which I wouldn't be shocked if we see a lot of, of overs hit in general in week one, similar to what we saw in, in 2011, where, yes. um, you know, we, we, they didn't have that much uh, practice because of the, the, the lockout. Um, and so we're seeing something similar here where there's no preseason games. I think a lot of people just automatically assume, oh, the offense is going to be out of sync. But really, the offense knows what they're doing on a football field. It's really the defense that's going to be out of sync and not knowing what to do. So I could see a lot of blown coverages, etc. Um, and as a result, I, I could see a lot of overs hit. Um, but I already mentioned that Seattle-Atlanta game. I really like that one uh, with Atlanta's secondary being pretty inexperienced. Seattle's defense isn't anything scary. And then you have two really good quarterbacks on either side of the ball. And then I, I think that that Rams-Cowboys game could really shoot out. Um, I, I think it should have a higher over-under right now. Dallas last year was uh, first in the NFL in pace, pace of play and neutral game scripts. The Rams were third. So you're looking at two teams that run at a pretty fast pace in a close game, and this is projected to be a, a close game. Uh, both teams are pretty good quarterback play. Um, and I'm generally just high on both offenses this year. Um, I think that we know why we would be high on Dallas, but uh, the Rams have been third in the NFL in touchdowns since Sean McVay became head coach behind only Kansas City and New Orleans. Um, and Jared Goff is in store for a lot of, of regression in the positive in a, in a positive way. Uh, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that, that Cowboys-Rams game in week one, too. Yeah, one uh, one thing that I think is really interesting, at least just looking at, at the main slate, I know the Chiefs are a huge favorite, but one thing we saw last year, um, there were a lot of like double digit spreads, and and I did like a a quick study on it, and it was 
the highest we've seen in, in a decade. And, and that led to, to really high ownership percentages um, at, at the predictable positions. Um, a lot of, of running backs with high ownership, defense with high ownership, were just uh, crushing slates, winning tournaments like, like Chalk was winning a lot of tournaments. Uh, in week one, we, we have three favorites of at least a touchdown, at least just looking at the main slate, um, but no double-digit uh, favorites. So is there anything that stands out to you uh, as far as, as underdogs go? Uh, usually DFS ownership tends to favor the favorites um, or lean towards the favorites, but we do have one, two, three, four, five games, three and a half points or under. So um, any of those slide underdogs stand out to you this week or in week one? Yeah, I mean, the one that jumped out to me was the Arizona-San Francisco game. Yeah. Um, kind of intriguing just because of what we saw last year, right? Because uh, in 2019, we had, in the first game those teams played, they scored 53 points. In the second mm-hmm. game, they scored 62 points. Uh, Kyler Murray in those games scored 26 and 23 fantasy points. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if we see San Francisco... Um, you know, that defense also, number one, we don't see defenses uh, have a lot of stickiness year over year in terms right. of defenses being really good one year to the next. They lost some pieces of that defense, too. Um, I, I don't think that we should just look at this Arizona offense and say, oh, they're playing San Francisco. I'm just going to fade everyone on that team, uh, especially when looking at the spread and, and looking at how that game uh, could play out according to the sports book. But, um, you know, just given what we saw last year, given the fact that Arizona added some pieces of that offense, obviously DeAndre Hopkins is there. Um, I kind of like them as a, as a low-key play uh, here in week one, despite being pretty heavy underdogs. You know, JJ, we just talked about, you know, how we use betting as far as, or DFS to help betting. Let's do the other side of that. Like betting lines, how much can you use that to advantage? And there's got to be other stats that we can throw in there or other, at least player props. How much are you using those player props to go into DFS? Yeah, so I, I think that it's a, a couple of things and, and a, a couple of different ways of looking at this. I mean, the first thing is, you know, we have a really cool tool on oddsfire.com where we can look at line movement really easily. Um, and line movement's a big thing to, to check out to see where, where money's being bet. Um, and, and you can see how the line's moving as a result. And then obviously if it's moving up, then you might want to target that team a little heavier. And if it's moving down, yada, yada, yada. Um, so that's something to definitely keep in mind. But I also think that we're going to get to a point where people are almost overstating the impact that these over-unders can set and, and make within the mm-hmm. DFS landscape. Because mm-hmm. realistically, uh, when you're looking, you know, we, we say, oh, this game has a 49.5 point over-under uh, versus this game that has a 46.5 point over-under. Therefore, I'm going to target the, the game with the higher over-under. But realistically, that's not it's not that significant of a difference in terms of points scored there. So I think right. that that one of the ways that you can sort of work this is almost a reverse psychology way where, you know, everyone's going to be targeting these higher over under games. Just look for the games that are a couple points lower where, you know, have the same range of outcomes or relatively same range of outcomes and target those games uh, because often you'll get lower ownership percentages as a result. So that's definitely one one way of, of looking at things, too, and sort of taking advantage of, of what we see in the market. Yeah, I, I've actually done done some studies uh, exactly what you're talking about, especially early in the season. We we see over like the first three or four weeks of the season, and it might really be uh, be extra this year just because we don't have an off season to study. But generally, the first three or four weeks of the season, those games or teams with insanely high totals actually score a little bit under. And then that second tier that you're talking about, they're actually scoring a little bit higher um, than the sports book suggests. So there's really a, a opportunity to exploit those numbers um, early in the season. And then just going back to like a tournament format, 
sure these these players uh, in potentially high scoring games um, they their ownership is going to be driven up and they generally are going to be the players that you see in winning tournament lineups but like just look at the quarterback position for example uh, we've we've done studies in the past where I, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me but say that the the winning quarterback uh, in the Sunday million uh, his team has an implied total over 25 like 65 percent of the time that still leaves 35 percent of the time where quarterbacks are coming from like a a relatively low scoring team or a team that's expected to be relatively low scoring so i mean i i think things like um like that are are important to guide us like in our overarching approach but um like like there's there's ways to be contrarian in dfs and redraft and and i think that's um really important uh so Building on all this sports betting talk and um, just like the future of sports betting in DFS, uh, I, I want to pick your brain a little bit on how you think things are going to grow. You mentioned there's still uh, a ton of room um, for states to grow. You only mentioned a handful. The, the hope is that we eventually get to all 50. And I, I think there's probably two schools of thoughts, and I want to see where, where you fall on this. And, and one school of thought is that um, – Everybody only has so much expendable income, and if if they have uh, $1 to bet and they go on a site, are they going to easily click the, um, the, the team spread, or are they going to go do research and build a DFS lineup? The other school of thought is all of these people that wouldn't be on the site anyway are going to be on the site. There's just going to be millions of more people, millions of more dollars on the site, and it's going to feed the DFS or the best ball or whatever – platform that the that the betting site also has um is going to grow it so where do you stand on like the outlook of the industry in terms of the growth of sports betting yeah i'm definitely more in the latter bucket uh Mm -hmm. where where i feel like all of these play off of one another and they just help each other Mm -hmm. uh you know sports betting legalization is only going to help uh dfs it's only going to help season-long fantasy um, you know, if we really saw a situation where people only had a certain amount of expendable income and therefore, you know, they'll, they'll put $5 in sports betting and no dollars into, into DFS or uh, $5 into each, uh, then we wouldn't see the Venn diagram look the way that it does with like season long versus DFS where like mm-hmm. the middle area is just shit. You know, there's so many people that are playing DFS that also play season long and vice versa um, right. because, you know, they're, they're just interested in this game. And really that's what we're looking at here. Sports betting, what it's going to do is it's going to allow people to engage in sports uh, in a much easier way. Um, you know, obviously just going up to a book and, and putting, placing a bet, opening up your phone, uh, and placing a bet. And that's really, really important because the more engaged you are, the more you want to try out all these other things and, and experience all these other things. Um, so I'm definitely all for what sports betting can do, not just for DFS, but I think that it can open up a little bit to, to the season long market and, and the way that people run contests for season long. And then what we're also going to see too, is just a lot of really interesting game variations. I yes, think, that was uh, my next question with, with this. Yeah. I mean, we're, we've already seen some of that happen for sure, but uh, you know, like I said earlier, there's a, an obvious bridge with DFS and, and season long to, to sports betting with, with player props. I think we're just going to see more and more of that kind of stuff happen. Um, and uh, you know, it's, it's really an opportunity for, for companies to get really, really creative with, with what they can offer. So that, that's the other piece of this that I'm really excited about. Yeah. I don't, I don't expect you to, to give away FanDuel secrets, but I, I mean, one of the, the constraints we have built into um, our games right now is just the fact that uh, fantasy sports is 
a skill game or defined as a skill game, uh, sports betting, uh, defined as gambling, which kind of limits what we can do with like a DFS contest because it can't be, um, it, it can't depend on the outcome of the game, it has to depend on the outcome of the players. Like, do you see something, envision something where we see kind of more of like a sports betting meets a DFS style tournament structure? Yeah, and I know that there's companies already trying to trying to do this, uh, where they're they're putting out like essentially like lineups that you would put together to then uh, where, where you're picking like player props and stuff, and then mm-hmm. you're comparing your 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 cards essentially to one another. Um, so I could see something like that happening, where you know instead of just playing against uh, the book and and really just seeing you know playing amongst yourself and, yeah. and seeing if you can beat the spread or whatever. Um, you're really you're you're essentially doing the exact same things, but you're playing against other people. Um, so you're getting that DFS sort of community uh, aspect and peer to peer aspect of things. Um, you know, and that that's definitely a different dynamic than what you typically get if you're just sports betting. Yeah, Holden, you're you're the perfect case study. You you JJ um, works for a, a provider. I live in a state where I can't sports bet. You're to can do whatever you want. So like, what what's kind of the temperature been in Colorado in terms of like how you're approaching both games? How other people you know are approaching both games? Well, I only um, I only just hang out in my apartment 24 hours a day. <laughs> no, yeah. so, so I don't know what other people are doing. But I will tell you this much. Mm-hmm. You, I think my bankroll in sports betting is probably going to be four to five times higher than DFS now. Sure. sure. Um, I still love DFS, but here's yeah. the thing about sports betting, and I've never been able to do this legally, and now I can do it in-game. Uh, yep. Live betting. This is going to be huge. I think that it will probably be the biggest uh, competitive whatever, a game or anything you want to say. The most money in sports betting is going there. It's going to be bigger than DFS. That's what I'm doing right now with other sports. Yeah, man. And that, to me, is going to be the big one. You know, Patriots go up seven to nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, let's let, let's change the total. Are we going now from 46? We're going to 47. Who scores the next touchdown? How many rushing yards? Live betting, to me, JJ, this is the future. You know, and yeah. more money is being spent live than pregame now already. Yeah, yeah, I'm totally with you. Like, like I said, there's just so many different ways of of in game variants that that you can create. And, and the the other thing too is as, as technology gets better and better, you know, you're going to be able to 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 bet on in a hypothetical world on very very small pieces and, and small instances of 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 a game. And just think of all those small micro transactions happening and how how strong that can be for a book and and why they would be motivated to do something like that and and put that that kind of product in front of someone. Um, so I, I'm with you. I think the live betting is really, really cool and fun um, and important, really, to, to the entire uh, business model for sports betting. Yeah. So obviously, um, this isn't available to a ton of people yet. And uh, because of that, like people like yourself and myself haven't put a ton of thought into like exactly how you're going to study it. Just like kind of like first instinct. We have all week to prepare for NFL. Right. And we, we study our butts off for it. Um in game, like, how are you, like, how would you try to make a quick but also, like, semi-profitable decision? Yeah, I, I think it would be tough for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's one of those, it's it's sort of one of those things, though, where, like, I, I embrace chaos. Right. Um, 
the way when I when I'm playing games when I'm playing fantasy games mm-hmm. or, or what have you. Um, so it's it's similar to to what I've sort of been preaching about uh, the current NFL season and season long, where everyone's like, oh, people are gonna get coronavirus all the time, and then we're gonna have to <laughs> make these decisions at the last second, and it's gonna be awful. Yeah. But I'm sitting here and I'm like, well, I know who the fourth string running backs are, and exactly. you don't. Right, right. So right. so I know how to how to approach this, you know, on mm-hmm. on, on the fly when wow, the stuff yeah. is happening and when someone's out at noon before a one o'clock game, I know how to react to that. So I think it's going to be more so that where you're sort of studying these games and how things typically happen. And then you're using that information that's in the back of your head uh, to make these decisions in real time. Yeah, I guess, I guess the fourth string running about is like a perfect example. If, if, if CMC goes down and then all of a sudden a prop comes out on Reggie Bonifin, like a live prop, like no, is, is he going to get all of the work or is he, is it automatically a running back by committee as soon as CMC goes down? Like just going into the game, knowing those things, I guess is the way to exploit that, huh? Yeah, exactly. And, and there's there's a lot of, of, of general research you can do that's not even based on that particular instance. You know, you, you can sit here and be like, oh, is it going to be Mike Davis? Is it going to be Reggie Bonifon? What's it going to look like? Um, you know, who, who's who's going to carry the load for the most part? What, what kind of role are these players going to play? But you can also just take a step back and look at historic research and what happens when a running back is hurt and not playing right. and how their backups step in. And typically we overrate what that backup is going to do. And so from that perspective, you should probably just bet the unders on most of these um, on most of those guys in that instance. Yeah, I think I think you pulling Reggie Bonifant and Mike Davis out of your ass when I bring up CMC on the fly tells us everything we need to know about how much we're, <laughs> we're looking at football all year. Um, all right, before we get you out of here, JJ, this isn't DFS related. This isn't sports betting related, but you are the late round quarterback and this is a football podcast, so I can ask you whatever I want. I've seen you take a quarterback in the fifth round in a draft with me. And I'm going to make a pitch to you about why I think this is a bad year for late round quarterback. And I want you to respond. Okay. Let's hear it. We have, I I count seven quarterbacks who have overall QB one upside. Um, yeah. I'm putting Josh Allen into the mix. Everybody else knows sure. who, who the, the top six are. And the reason being is because what I see this year is an outlier year in terms of what we have available at quarterback. And I think it's very analogous to what we have available at running back. We only have a handful of dual, dual threat running backs and they go very high in drafts right now. We only have a handful of quarterbacks that, can run that outrun all of the other guys. Like we have seven guys that I think can legit rush it 80 to hundred times this year. And all of those quarterbacks are in very good situations where I think they all have potential for 30 passing touchdowns and five rushing touchdowns. That's only happened nine times in history. Eight of those quarterbacks have been QB ones. I'm not saying take Lamar Jackson is two. I'm saying I want to come out of drafts with the top seven quarterback this year. And if it means spending a seventh round pick instead of an 11th round pick, like I usually would, I think this is the year to do it. I have a lot of thoughts on this. Let's hear them. Okay. So, <laughs> so I, I, I don't disagree in the, from the standpoint that this year, more than any other year that, that I've been doing this, that probably you've been doing this too. This year seems like the most efficient quarterback market that we've ever seen 100%. in terms, in terms of ADP and, and where they're being drafted and such. Uh, I, I will say this too. When I, when I published the late round quarterback ebook back in 2012, Back then, because the whole concept is about value and getting extracting value out of your yep. draft and opportunity cost and, and all of that. Back then, the QB 12 was being drafted in round eight. Sure. Okay. Today, the QB six is often drafted in round eight. So exactly. if, if the opportunity cost back in 2012 
was that sure go get a quarterback in round eight because that was mm-hmm. the last hypothetical starter mm-hmm. versus today I can't mm-hmm. sit here and say no don't get a quarterback in round eight because mm-hmm. it's, it's not like that's changed dramatically in terms mm-hmm. of overall opportunity cost from that standpoint I, I absolutely get it you know I also I did uh, a, a series of articles on how to spot breakout players at running yep. back wide receiver and tight end mm-hmm. uh, and, and I, I basically found breakout players who far exceeded ADP over the last decade and I saw I found trends uh, amongst that group so trends out running back wide receiver tight end I tried to do the same for quarterback and it was really really hard to find trends because number one a lot of the same quarterbacks were the ones that were far exceeding ADP year over year like Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson Um, but but also there just weren't very obvious trends what it comes down to at the quarterback position is there are two major ways to be a a, a true difference maker at the position, which that's all we should really care about because you can stream the position. You should really only care about like top three quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the the, the way that you become a top three quarterback is you either run the ball really well and you're efficient on the ground, or you have some sort of outlier season in terms of touchdown rate. So we've seen the latter happen with like a Matt Ryan a couple of years ago. Um, And then we see it sometimes with the, the running quarterbacks who aren't great passers or haven't been great passers like Cam Newton's MVP year. Um, where he did have that had have that uh, unsustainable uh, touchdown rate. Then obviously the unicorn season last year from Lamar Jackson, where he had a nine percent touchdown rate. Mm-hmm. So there is going to be here. Here's my thing: is that there is going to be a quarterback in the late rounds who ends up having that like seven and a half eight percent touchdown rate. Yep. So if you can get that guy, maybe there's two. But if you can get that guy. And and I think like a good example of that is like a Jared Goff, mm-hmm. uh, who who has that potential because he's sort of sort of proven it in the past. Um, but if you can get that player, then obviously waiting waiting on that guy makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um. But but at the same time, I'm with you. I would make one exception though. I do think that a player that you can draft late right now that does have that same passing and rushing upside is Cam Newton. Yeah. That's that's the 100%. one guy who still kind of fits that mold of the top seven quarterbacks, you know, who could elevate his play and become a, a top five guy. But I'm with you. I, I think that it's fine if you want to go with more of those middle round quarterbacks, which traditionally and historically have been really, really bad bets. But the way that the quarterback market is this year, I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I my, my caveat to that is that um, I, I just want the seventh one, whoever, whoever it is. I just wanted to to hear you spout on on those thoughts. So I, <laughs> I kind of led you a little bit. Um, like, like I'm still not taking a, a quarterback in the fifth round, but like just right. the, that, that pool of like, just call them like the double dip guys. Like you, you talked about the outliers we can have this year um, in terms of like the passing rate. It just, it, it, it looks to me like the guys that are, could be the outliers, like just also happen to be the rushing guys this year. Um, so yeah. th- those are yeah. guys that, that I'm excited about. Um, yeah. But uh, JJ, before we get out of here, uh, remind everybody where you're at, what you're up to, uh, where they can find your stuff. Yeah, uh, I'm on Twitter at Late Round QB. Uh, I have uh, a couple podcasts, the Late Round Podcast and Living the Stream. Uh, and then all my written stuff is over on numberfire.com. And Living the Stream is with 444's own CD Carter. So you get a double Correct. dip of goodness if you go check that out. Uh, before you get the season started, after you check out Living the Stream, make sure you go to 444 and sign up for our DFS subscription. If you use the code DFSMVP, it gets you 25% off. That's good only for the DFS subscription. Uh, be sure to give us a follow. Uh, you got JJ's info right there. You can follow me at TJ Hernandez. Follow Holden at Holden Radio. Of course, follow 444 at 444 Football. We'll have another rebroadcast for you guys on Monday with a new episode and new guest next week. Thank you for listening. The shirt is plaid with a butterfly collar. The next half hour was the same old thing. My mother buying me clothes from 1963 and then she lost her mind and did the ultimate.
I asked her for Adidas and she bought me zips. I said, Mom, what are you doing? You ruined my rap. She said, you're only 16. You don't have a rap yet. I said, Mom, let's put these clothes back, please. She said, no. You go to school to learn, not for a fashion show. I said, this is your shine and I'm from